it's a devotional activity to, to do mission. So to, to, the separation between being and doing is a very unhelpful thing for us. Hey, welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. And it's so good to have a couple of friends on with us uh, today. Um, Mr. Mike Frost and Graham Joseph Hill. How are you guys doing down under? Yeah, hey, good, Ron. Yeah, right, how so are you, Graham? With you. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Graham, Graham, welcome to uh, the Forge America conversation. And uh, everyone knows who Mike is, and uh, but it's so good to have you on with us. Been on this podcast before, but Graham is a is a uh, Forge America Mission podcast virgin. This is his first. Crack. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My, Mike always looks for trigger words, whether it's in a <laughs> sermon or on a podcast. He is our trigger word. Actually, that that word did go through my mind when you said it, but I thought. Actually, for discretion's sake, I won't use the word, but then... See, that's the difference. I'm, I'm, See, like, Graham and I both <laughs> think the same things, but I will say that's that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, Mike, that's I, true. I try to think about tribe. my career. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Mike, Mike is that way for the whole tribe. We all think it, and we know that Mike will say it. So uh, we appreciate him so much. Well, hey guys, we're uh, today. I'm really excited to have you on uh, to talk about your new book, which, um, man, I so thoroughly enjoyed. And I was telling you, I read it on Kindle, and uh, and then there's actually an exercise to do, which we'll talk about. And so I ordered the hard copy, and I can't wait for it to get here, and so that I can do the exercise. But um, you have a new book out, uh, NAF Press published it, um, Hide This in Your Heart, and it's about scripture memory, um, which Mike was a little bit of a different type of book at first. It appears that way, um, but really isn't that much of a different book uh, when you get into it for you to write on missiology. Um, but maybe maybe you guys, we could just start with uh, just telling us what was the kind of the impetus behind it and the the story behind getting it started and um, tell us a little bit of the way that you approach scripture memory and think about it. Well, I'll start because it was Graham's idea. So I'll give him the credit. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, and I know a lot of guys in Forge know this book, but I've written a book called Surprise the World. And of course at Forge, we've talked a lot about, you know, missional habits, uh, not just the ones that, uh, that we developed here, the bells, uh, one, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of versions of them, and I know lots of people in the Forge tribe have uh, have modified or, uh, or or come up with their own. But um, so I developed that. I mean, that emerged out of the, the community. We were part of Small Boat Big Sea, then that turned into a ebook, then into a book, and then the whole idea of missional habits have kind of really been a ongoing and international conversation. But um, it was Graham's idea to say well, wouldn't it be useful if we also developed uh, almost like a sixth habit, but in a sense to actually help people to, to get into memorising scripture, but just engaging scripture around those five habits. So like, why are we doing those things? Oh, we're blessing people because it's a good, you know, missional thing to do. Well, no, we're also doing it because the Bible actually talks about what it looks like to be a generous, generative, giving, other, other person-focused a follower of Christ. So it was Graham's idea, like, let's not just provide 
you know, proof texts for these things. Why should we eat with others? Why should we listen to the Spirit or learn Christ or be sent? Um, let's also get people to immerse themselves, or as Graham uses this word, to internalise uh, the scriptural record around these kinds of practices. So it was his idea to, to um, get together and maybe write a, a resource that would help people to do that. Yeah, for me, it was really enjoying um, memorising some of the verses out of the topical memory system, the original navigator system, and uh, feeling quite inspired by the breadth of those verses and the ways in which they cover some of the key texts of Scripture, but then also becoming aware one day that many of them felt like they had been selected um, in a very in a way that was targeted at personal growth and an individualised approach to salvation and faith. Now, none of that is necessarily bad, and all of the scriptures that have been selected in the topical memory system are, are key, uh, key texts and important for us to internalise and understand. But I begin to be, feel a little bit suspicious that they were a reflection of a individualistic, uh, person-centred, a view of faith and a particular approach to what the gospel is all about that isn't reflected necessarily of the whole scriptures. And it also struck me that there are so many aspects of the, of the scriptures around justice and reconciliation, peacemaking, transforming the world that are not covered in those passages. So I just began to wonder, I wonder you know, I wonder whether there is a place for a version of the topical memory system that would inspire us to internalise and memorise passages and verses of the Bible which are much more, well, which are complementary to the topical memory system and which inspire us to the apostolic, prophetic, world-changing life as a reflection of the person of Jesus Christ. So that's where sort of where it started for me as well. To, to illustrate that point, um because uh, I agree entirely with what Graham said, but a simple illustration of this, and we mentioned in the book, is that um, when Bible Hub, oh, no, no, it's uh, it's where uh, Bible Gateway put out their um, most searched for verses uh, every year, they put out their, you know, five searched for verses, and they are all about, uh, you know, the, the Lord being with me. They're about their devotional, have courage. Uh, I know the plans that I have for you. This kind of idea that God loves us, God sees us, God has a plan for us, uh, God cares for us. As Graham says, all super important. Uh, but the fact that year in and year out, every single year, they're the most searched for verses, plus is what Graham said about the topical memory system, uh, yeah, I think it's reasonable to say evangelicals in particular are focusing their interest in scripture around more person-centered or devotional um, passages of scripture. So uh, I've had plenty of occasions where people say to me, well, just, you know, just show me in the scripture where it says we should be concerned about justice, which, you know, you'd feel like laughing when someone asks you that. But rather than mocking them or scoffing at that, just say, okay, here's a bunch of them. And I've had a few people like, oh, okay, right, right, well, okay, that makes sense. It's kind of, why didn't you not see it? Because we locate ourselves in certain parts of the Bible. And so, yeah, this system is about calling people 
into memorizing scripture around, as Graham said, justice, reconciliation, generosity, hospitality, uh, you know, another centered spirituality. Right. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the books that uh, Tim Keller recently wrote on um, on justice and a biblical vision of justice, he actually says that he, he recounts the time when it struck him that somehow he had missed all of the biblical passages and exhortations to be people of justice, peacemaking, reconciliation. And he recounts in the beginning of that book um, the shock or horror that he'd spent so many decades reading the Bible, but somehow had missed this. So it's, it's important for us, I think, all to be reminded that it is easy for us to have blinkers, to, to focus on particular themes and passages in the Bible and to miss so many of the other things that Scripture would say to us. And we all do it, and hopefully this series of, of memorization verses will complement the verses that have been provided in the topical memory system. Do you, do you think that um, this aspect of being so inward focused um, with scripture that we have memorized or encountered kind of mirrors a little bit of the Western ecclesiology that's been built up? Because, um, you know, it's not that we're absent of mission in the church, but obviously a lot of things are Sunday centric focused, centered on our personal growth, which is not a bad thing, but we don't talk often about our missional identity, right? And so maybe it kind of mirrors a little bit of the evangelical ecclesiology uh, that's been going on for decades and decades. Yeah, definitely. And it also mirrors what's important in our cultures. So, you know, if you want to know what really matters to people and the way in which they see the world, listen to the way in which they pray. Um, and what strikes me is that often when you're in evangelical circles or Western circles in general, if you get to get a, a group of people together to pray, what they'll often pray about is very personal, devotional, individual issues. Um, and you don't know you're doing it because it's the water that you swim in and it's the language that you speak. It's the culture that you imbibe, and it doesn't strike you as unusual the way that you're praying, but it's a reflection of the way in which you see faith, it's the way, it's the way in which you see the world. What, what struck me when I was travelling, for instance, across um, Africa, is that often when you'll go to prayer meetings and you'll ask people to pray spontaneously, what do they pray about? They pray about justice and poverty and corruption and all of their prayers seem to be about, you know, changing the injustices of the world. They probably don't even know they're doing it. It's just that the way they see life, because they're swimming in this ocean of these issues and asking God to intervene and make them the sort of mouth and hands and feet to do some of that intervention. Similarly, um, after spending three months in Korea last year, what struck me is if you get Koreans together and you ask them to pray spontaneously, they always pray communal prayers. It's very rare that you ever hear them pray prayers about, um, individual prayers about, I want a better job, I would like a romantic partner, I hope for a pay rise, help me feel better tomorrow. All of the prayers are about family, community, church life, society. They're all relationship type prayers. All of that is to say that it's interesting how prayers do reveal something about how we see the world, how we see faith, who we are. 
And just as Western prayers, often evangelical prayers, are very individualistic, very personalised, very devotional, very much about me, my problems and how God can intervene, so too the way in which we read scripture and do faith is very similar. Yeah, I would also say, adding to that, is that um, often we feel in the West that uh, we need scripture to remind us of God's love for us, God's care and presence with us. Um, that's the devotional aspect I was talking about before. So scripture is God speaking into our life to affirm those those things. And certainly when people feel lost or lonely or harried or depressed or stressed, those sorts of things are super important. And then it's as if from that place, then we go to do mission. Let's go serve others or, or make peace, bring reconciliation, uh, um, serve our neighbours and the like. Um, so it's kind of like let's learn the scriptures to remind ourselves that God loves us and now let's go do some stuff that's going to connect with people. But which is to your question about ecclesiology, I would want to say that we need to be reminded that Scripture speaks into the kind of actional aspects of following Christ. So it's I, I am communing with God when I am serving the poor, when I'm feeding somebody at my table, when I am opening my home to others, when I am, you know, working for justice for, for the immigrant or uh, for the Indigenous person. Um, it's not like these are just strategies I, I'm doing because, you know, we're trying to help extend the kingdom. Uh, these are actually expressions of my, my spirituality and the scripture is super important to be immersed in that, have that internalised within me so that I'm actually, it's a devotional activity to, to do mission. So to, to, the separation between being and doing is a very unhelpful thing for us. It's not like we need the scripture to be, but we don't need the scripture to do. And I would say, no, let's integrate those things and let's allow scripture to saturate all of that. Yeah, um, reading this book was was a uh, it was actually an emotional experience for me. There was there were a lot of memories that uh, came rushing back to me, partly because of my geography and partly because of my past. Um, I'm in Colorado Springs, where the Navigators are headquartered, and so a lot of you know the stories of Dawson Trotman and the Nabs and and all of that is uh, geographically. Um, close to me, but also when I came to faith in my early 20s, uh, my father, um, who was a believer and was actually just two generations removed as a disciple from Dawson Trotman, uh, he was a disciple of Lorne Sani, and Lorne was a disciple of Dawson's, and uh, he invited me immediately to do the topical memory system. So I remember, you know, getting the box and the little plastic card holder and going through uh, verses with my father and we would quiz each other and we were working, I was working for him. And so all of these uh, memories of kind of going through that, uh, and I still remember um, a lot of those verses, but as I read your book, I started thinking back through what did I feel like when I was doing that system as a brand new believer? And it felt it did feel a little bit like I was um, kind of shoring up my behavior box a little bit, or maybe I was um, 
you know, trying to figure out what was right or wrong. It was less of an internalization um, and more of an outward kind of behavior um, tool for me to use in my head, you know, which, you know, I, it was also being internalized, obviously, because I still I still remember that. But I love the thought process of um, a missional topical memory system, basically. Um, it reminds me of James kind of saying, be doers of the word. And so it's like if we can have these truths um, right at the tip of our brain, um, then it helps us engage and display the kingdom more in an outward way. Um, but I love that. I even, uh, and you guys, we're on Zoom, obviously. So I, I grabbed some of these to show you, but these are my dad's old business cards. And on the back of these cards, he started writing his own verses because he ran through the whole topical memory system, had memorized the book of Mark. Um, and I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these. Wow. And so this little idea of having a card system, he would just rubber band them um, and having those all day long where you can uh, engage them is, you know, is proven in my family for, <laughs> for sure. So anyway, could you, could you talk a little bit about the mechanics now of like how you, um, you know, how, how you think people should memorize scripture and the best way to kind of go about that? I'll just jump in and then uh, I'll let Graham respond to that. But I think, um, I think there are people like you who grew up with it and we've had a number of people say, oh, I remember doing that when I was young. So uh, maybe not with the same heritage or with a father that had, you know, hundreds of cards that he wrote out. But lots of people would say as a, as a younger Christian, I, I engaged with the topical memory system and, and have long since kind of left that behind. And I actually was in a, um, a home group Bible study meeting uh, the other day and this couple had joined and they were new and they were sharing their testimony and one of them, I guess they're in their 40s, but this woman in her 40s was like, oh, I was discipled by this woman. Oh, she was so strange and old-fashioned. I love it a bit. She was really a mother to me in, in the Lord. She had this weird thing. You had to memorise Bible verses on little cards. It was so old-fashioned. And, and there I am sitting in the room having just, like, produced this book, which actually has little cards in it that you can memorise verses. Not that she knew that. But there is a kind of sense like, oh, that's a quaint, old-fashioned thing that, that people used to do, or say in your case, Roland, actually that takes me back to a really beautiful experience of memorising those those verses with my with my father. But then there's just whole generations, like your kids and mine, Roland. I imagine it's just like it's never occurred to them necessarily that that would would be a practice. And if asked, I think people would say, oh, it feels a little bit like learning things by rote is not. It doesn't really go deep. You know, I memorised all the state capitals or I memorised all the rivers from the eastern seaboard of Australia. And, you know, I knew all that. That's all gone. Like, what you stuff you memorise, it just disappears. And we have worked really hard in this book to try to demonstrate how, sure, it could be like that if that's all it is, just a externalised practice. But that what we're wanting to do is to see the way in which memorisation is also about internalisation. And it's not just about memorising so many cards so that you can, you know, win a competition with your friend or your father or whatever the case may be, but it's actually about 
allowing these scriptures to, we use the word internalise, but we quote a, a poet in the book saying he, he recommends the memorization of poetry because he says it's like it gets in the bloodstream, like the, the words actually start to resonate in your, your, your very soul and psyche. And so for us, it's not just about kind of an externalised rote system. It is about a, a genuine commitment to wanting to immerse yourself in scripture. And of course, let's be frank about it to our all of our Forge tribe, you know, some of our more conservative friends will often claim to be the people of the Bible and they're into Bible teaching and Bible studies and all that, and you missional folks, you're like all out there just like doing social justice and what have you. And it's like, no, I'm not going to allow that, that bivocation of those things. No, we missional folks are absolutely immersed in Scripture because why else would we do this? if we didn't feel sent by the living God to do it. So, of course, our desire to hear the word of God, to know it, to memorise it, to have it, the very part of our bloodstream is absolutely essential for those of us that are wanting to commit ourselves to the really cumbersome, often discouraging work of serving the poor, of sharing the gospel with unbelievers, of peacemaking and reconciliation. There's no end in sight for those kinds of ministries, is there? Like, you you know, we don't achieve it. Like, we're we are just committing ourselves to a lifelong task of, of serving others. So what would sustain us? It's not success. It's not, you know, victory. Yay, you know, we eliminated injustice. Like, it will be with us forever, Jesus says. So what would sustain us in that? Our compatriots? a sense of community, a calling, but also the word of God. Yeah, it's almost like the, uh, you know, the, the orthodoxy is the fuel for the orthopraxy. And, yeah. you know, in that case. And so um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's ironic that, you know, the quote unquote kind of evangelical Western world is, um, you know, is, is a little bit more focused inward than outward at times. And so, hey, Graham, you talk about um, your great-grandfather, um, which I, I loved that story and just kind of that visual um, of him just pouring him or pouring scripture into himself, not himself into scripture, early scripture into himself. Can you kind of recount some of that and how that uh, kind of informed this project a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, um it's incredible the impact that people have on your life as you as you're growing up, and and often family members, but others that have really demonstrated to you a passion for Christ and commitment to serving the world in in the name of Jesus and making a big difference. And my great grandfather was one of those people. I I would have been probably about thirteen when he died. But, I, but he had spent um, his life serving the poorest of the poor and the most broken people of Australia um, uh, in the heart of Sydney. When he first, so he, he traveled from, um, so I, yeah, I did a DNA test and it told me that uh, my people are Irish and Scottish with a little bit of Norwegian, which is very exciting. Um, so that, that explains why when I go shopping, I do a little bit of marauding. Um, but, but uh, my grandfather, he arrived from uh, Scotland and he was in Australia for about three years before his young wife joined him. So 
maybe like uh, uh, some of that generation, they didn't have enough money to, for them both to come over. They got married and within a week of getting married, he jumped on a ship and came to Australia and was here for three years working in order to save up enough money to bring her from Scotland. He was Irish and she was, she was Scottish. Um, on the way over on the boat, his, um, a family member gave him, um, interestingly, a little Bible. And he wasn't a Christian at the time. And on the way over on the boat, he started reading the Bible and he, he came to faith on the voyage from Scotland to Australia. Arrived in Australia, began to work in the, in the mines and other menial ro uh, roles in order to save up enough money to bring his young wife over from, um, from Scotland. And during that time, as he continued to read scripture and reflect on faith, he felt more and more convicted that God had called him to spend his whole life serving the most broken people of the early, early colonies. And when, when Mary, his wife, uh, eventually joined him three years later, they moved into Balmain. Um, and at that time, Balmain at the, uh, these days is a very wealthy um, urban area, but at the time it was very poor, and uh, Balmain and Newtown, and they served, um, uh, you know, prostitutes, drug addicts, alcoholics, uh, homeless people. And I still remember actually in my sort of, when I was 10, 11 or 12, and I would go to my grandparents' house, and you never knew who was, who was going to be there. They're people from all walks of life, People staying for weeks at a time, sleeping in their living room because they had nowhere else to stay. And uh, that was just my grandfather's life. And I remember one vivid account where I was woken up to the sound of sobbing and I walked downstairs and there was my grandfather on his knees by the couch, weeping with his open Bible. Um, every morning he would get up and read his Bible and pray before he'd spend his day serving um, with some of the most broken people of Sydney. Uh, and he was weeping and he looked up at me and his eyes were covered in tears and he said to me, Graham, I love Jesus. And every day I go into the Bible, Jesus reveals more of himself to me. He shows me more of his heart. Every day I spend time with Jesus, I fall more deeply in love with him. And he said, he said to me, Graham, whatever you do in life, every day commit to fall, falling more deeply in love with Jesus and go deeply into God's word. Go deeply into God's word. And that, that example, that moment, has sort of seared itself into my brain and into my heart, and I think it's really changed my life. Um, very powerful moment and an example to me of someone whose whole life had been given to serving on mission and serving those who the rest of society had given up on because of his love for Jesus and the Jesus Christ whom he met daily in the words of Scripture and in the lives of the broken and poor. Isn't that, um, and that's such a beautiful story and picture of what Mike was just talking about where he starts his day with the Word of God kind of drinking that in and then that empowers him and gives gives him the sustainability to work with the poor and do uh you know do work in those areas so it's amazing um 
uh, my, my dad wrote a little book called uh, Quiet Time at one point, and um, I remember helping him kind of lay it out in an old-fashioned publisher program. And, um, you know, it. I went through a season of life where that seemed like such a uh, kind of legalistic, um, maybe old-fashioned, like you're saying, Mike, thing to do where you start your day and you make sure the first thing you do is read your Bible. Um, and, you know, as I have gotten older, I find that, that actually that's the rhythm that I want to go back to, which is, I mean, I'm in the scriptures in different ways all the time, but it's like to set aside a certain amount of time, um, you know, and engage the scriptures. Or I think, Graham, you said when you take walks every day, um, I saw in one of the videos on the book, that's when you kind of do scripture memory and and meditate on the scriptures. And so I think those rhythms are so, so, so important for us as missional people, um, if we understand that we're sent. What are, what are some of the ways that you would suggest people to kind of um, get started in scripture memory? And uh, what are some of the practical kind of tools and, and uh, ways that, that, you guys help them do that in this book. Yeah, I always say start small. Um, but if you try to bite off more than you can chew, you feel overwhelmed and there's a chance that you'll give up. So start small, choose one verse that you feel will impact your life and change your life and work to memorize that and then build up from there. So start small, find a personal rhythm that works for you in terms of Bible memorization. For me, that is walking. I find memorizing while I walk is the most uh, useful way for me to memorize. I walk around the national park near my home and memorize scriptures. I do that. I uh, do it often. So start small. Find a rhythm that works for you personally. Do it often. Uh, try to memorize, say, for instance, in the morning and then revisit that memorization at night. And then uh, fourthly, do it with community. So find people who are also committed to, to memorizing scripture who can keep you accountable and can, you know, see how you're traveling. Um, we have put out the Bible Memory Challenge and there is a Get Started PDF that is connected to the Bible Memory Challenge. And the Bible Memory Challenge has a bunch of resources available to people to begin to learn how to memorize scripture. And they include a version reading plan, a Get Started PDF document, a table of contents and the first chapter of Hide This in Your Heart, a memory verse checklist, an area where you can build your own list of verses. And even if you're feeling really adventurous, this is kind of in contradiction to me saying you could start small. There's even a plan for memorising the Sermon on the Mount. So if you really want to get ambitious. Um, but there are just some of the tips. Um, Mike, what are some of the things that have worked for you? Yeah, well, you probably said, said all of them. I mean, um, yeah, find the place where, that, that uh, you're best able to um, concentrate. And that, as Graham says, that's walking. For some people, that's in the shower. Other people, that's just in their in their office or or bedroom or space alone. Um, in, uh, in, in Surprise the World, I talk about the need for us to have a significant period of time, not just a short period of time, but a significant period of time every week, actually listening to the Holy Spirit through Scripture, um, but also through his 
his promptings in our lives. And it could well be that you connect memorization to that period of time as well, so that you actually develop a rhythm where, you know, Roland, you were talking about your dad having this quiet time every single morning at the beginning of the day, which is a rhythm and a good and a habit uh, and a good one. Uh, we recommended like at least one significant period of your day would be spent commuting with the, the Holy Spirit and you could connect Bible memory to that, but just, just develop a, a life rhythm that kind of fits with your lifestyle. We appreciate that people with little kids uh, don't really have much flexibility or freedom first thing in the morning. I don't know what your dad was doing or what kids were doing when you're <laughs> doing a quiet time, but um, it could well be that if you've got little tiny kids, okay, you're going to you know, need to find a different time of the day. I mean, it's not, again, not legalistic. We don't want it to be a thing where, you know, you're just not cutting it if you don't have a quiet time every morning or a memorization walk every afternoon. Uh, link it to uh, your lifestyle so that it becomes just part of the of your regular rhythm of involvement in, in the world. Yeah, and people that are familiar with the topical memory system um, will remember these little uh, sheets of cards that you would get and you would actually, they're per perforated and you would tear them apart and then keep them in a little pack. Um, and so you actually have those in the book, right? In the back of the book? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you buy the Kindle version, you don't get them. But if you buy them... Uh, yeah, I discovered that. <laughs> yes. So if you buy the, the actual hard copy book, and I appreciate lots of people are much more used to and enjoy reading on, on Kindles. I mean, on Kindle, you get the book, which is all about the process of and the, the technique of memorization, uh, but you don't get the little cards. If you buy the, the book itself, as you say, there's perforated tear-out palm cards that you could you could carry around and, and as you mentioned earlier Roland that you, you know you and your dad had like um Mavpress used to put out little little plastic pouches that you'd keep mm. in and there's a kind of whole whole memorization industry going on um I don't think we're going to go that far but uh if the cards are helpful if it's good to have them carry them in your pocket or put them in your in your palm of your hand and as you're driving, you stop at a stoplight, have a, have a look at it, memorise it. As you're walking, carry it in your, your hand, you know, just, just, just let it prompt you in your memorisation. Um, uh, check yourself against the, the ones that you've had, like bring out your old cards and see how many of them uh, you're able to memorise. So if the, if the cards help, they're there, yeah. Well, and you, you also talk about um, that, uh, approaching this in community is a really good practice as well, if you can do that. And I, I remember, you know, with my dad and with a couple other guys quizzing each other. Uh, it seems a little, it seems a little stoic or something or scholastic to do that, but it actually kind of, you know, it prompts you to kind of stay in the practice and develop a rhythm because you know that people are, are going to kind of ask you, you know, can you re recite this card or this verse? Or well, I mean, I was I was really uh, taken by what Graham was saying before about you know Africa and South Korea and the communal nature of prayer. Um, but I feel like us white Anglo Westerners are just really shit at doing things in community. And I mean, I've been part of a of a group, and I'm trying to. Um, 
promote the idea that we might do collective rhythms and hold each other accountable to it. And it's just resistance to that. Like, it's just like, oh, in theory, that's good, but what? You're going to check up on me or, no, it's not check up. We're just going to touch base with you and, like, you know, have you had a chance to live out this habit or this rhythm this week? And people like the idea, though, the rhythms they think sound good, but there's just a resistance to this idea that doing something together, not together physically, but to doing rhythming our lives together in our own kind of zones and workplaces, and then coming together to check on each other, to hold each other accountable, to encourage each other, people don't like it. And I don't, I just, I mean, I was part of a church for so long where that was part of the DNA from the very beginning, and I just thought it was just kind of normal. Uh, but now I'm realising that for Maybe it's evangelical, charismatic kind of spirituality. It's we're so individualistic. I mean, it may not be our spirituality. It might just be, you know, suburban values about privacy and individualism and consumerism and the like. It just shaped us so much. I, I don't want to actually have you ask me whether I've memorised this verse or not. So, yeah, there's a, there's something here that we have to break maybe in our in our kind of suburban values and. Whether this does the trick or not, I don't know. But I, I definitely think people will have some of that reaction you were just referring to, Roland, the whole idea that it's it's sort of odd to, to together commit ourselves, not as a competition, but just as a way that brothers and sisters would inspire each other to know more, to grow more, to, to be more in Christ. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I sure appreciate you guys uh, taking on this topic and kind of returning it to the forefront because it's been a rhythm throughout Christianity, you know, for ages uh, to learn scripture and internalize it. And uh, it's something that we need to continually be reminded of, uh, especially as missional people and uh, forge people that are listening to this podcast. Uh, It's an obvious add on this book uh, to our curriculum because we already have surprised the world uh, in our min- missional discipleship of people in our residency. And so I can see where this is going to do nothing but support that and make it stronger um, as people internalize the, the word of God to, to be sent. So, um, well, how can God, how can everyone keep up with what you guys are doing? I know Mike, you've got, you've got a website, which we've said before, but maybe say it again uh, where people can subscribe to your blog. Cause it's really good. Yeah, it's just mikefrost.net. And Graham has exactly the same website. Um, okay, so just I, type I, I, in Mike Frost. <laughs> if you type in mikefrost.net, <laughs> I, I have a poor man's version of Mike's website. So if you go to um, okay. Joseph, com, yeah, and you you want a, like a lesser version of the great resources on Mike's website, you'll find lots okay. of material there. Well, or you can don't do just go- do, don't just Google uh, don't just Google Graham Hill because you get okay. some kind of snidely whiplash kind of um, <laughs> racing guy. So, oh really? Actually, I was looking well, for now- photo. I was looking for a photo of Graham the other day, and I just Googled Graham Hill in images, and there's this old racing driver guy who looks like Snidely <laughs> from the Wacky Races. And I'm thinking now I know why Graham added Joseph into his name. Like, yeah, actually, there's sure two fa- 
<laughs> there's two famous Graham Hills and there's me. Like one is the racing car driver who was very well known. When I was born, everyone said, why did you name him after a racing car driver? His photos are very cute, actually. And the second is the tree hugger guy from um, – and so often I'll get, I'll get people send me beautiful emails um, saying, your writing has changed my life. I've never been the same again since reading your material, Graham. Thank you. And all of your work on environmentalism is inspiring. And I think, well, I'm getting all of Graham Hill's mail. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, Graham, you can do what I do on my website and just put a link to Mike's you know, for the blog. Let's <laughs> just go read this. <laughs> so, well, hey, uh, guys, thanks for joining me uh, all the way from Australia. Zoom is great for this kind of stuff. And uh, I so appreciate your time and really good to meet you, Graham. And uh, look forward to more conversations around the Forge Tribe with you. And Mike, as always, man, it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Give my love to Kitty and... Uh, all those Forge folks out there listening, uh, all power to you. Stick with it, guys. You're doing great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. Thank you.